Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Fourth and two. Midfield. Seattle down six. Shotgun snap. Smith under pressure. Throws incomplete. It was Micah Parsons bursting into the backfield. The first time tonight that he's really affected the quarterback. And it's the last chance he'll get as Seattle turns it over on downs. And Dallas is going to win it 41 to 35. The one guy you don't want to unblock, Micah Parsons. Parsons. Yeah. You know, it is amazing in a game that featured 76 total points and so many things about which we could discuss over the course of the next two hours. It all came down to that play, fourth and two, with the play call and design allowing one of the greatest defensive players on the planet to go unblocked at the quarterback, and that's what they meant to do we'll break that play down from every possible angle plus the other big moments from last night's game he's peter king i'm mike florio it's pft live peacock series xm85 sky sports nfl whenever they choose to re-air the program there and podcast whenever you choose to re-listen to the show peter is somewhere he's not in his usual place i don't know where peter is because i got here late and i didn't get a chance to talk to him peter where are you I am at an airport hotel at San Francisco Airport. I was over at the 49ers yesterday working on a story. And uh, before I go home today, I said, I'm going to talk to my old pal, Mike Florio, right on this show. So here we are at 4.01 a.m. on the West Coast. And uh, it's a good time. It's party time. Wow. Wow. Well, I, I, I'm impressed. I had no idea that you were on the Miles Simmons arrangement. He'll join us from time to time <laughs> at 4 a.m. Pacific Coast time. But you have to go in about an hour and 15 minutes or so. Devin McCourty, for the first time ever, is going to be on the program. He'll take us home after Peter heads to the airport for the cross-country flight. So you'll, what, what, when does your flight leave and when will you finally get home? 
My flight leaves at 7.15 Pacific, which is 10.15 Eastern. And Matt Casey, uh, our grand poobah, did me a great favor by getting uh, Devin McCourty to come in and be my Mariano Rivera. So uh, I'm grateful to Matt, (laughs) grateful grateful to uh, Devin McCourty. And, uh, you know, Mike, I... I don't know. I I got into my hotel last night right at the start of the second half of the game. So I watched all the second half. And for a long time, honestly, I thought that the Seahawks were going to come through with the kind of win. You know, when you looked at their schedule, uh, you know, I looked at it a couple of weeks ago, you know, one Sunday night late uh, writing my column. And I said they need to take one of these games, you know, that they're going to have. They got, they're at Dallas, uh, I'm sorry, San Francisco, then at Dallas, at San Francisco, and then Philadelphia at home. The Philadelphia game, which now has been flexed, right? (laughs) But that means that they've got to beat San Francisco in San Francisco, or uh, right now the best, the team with the best record on the planet, you know, the Philadelphia Eagles. So I don't like their chances. And Mike, last night, that was a golden, a golden opportunity for the Seahawks to finally, finally uh, win a game that they probably had no business winning, but to sort of save their playoff chops. Uh, but you look at them now, six and six. You know, and if and if form holds six and eight after the next two, and you know they really need somehow some way to win one of those, and maybe the magic of the twelfth man can steal that game against the Eagles, but this is a very, very tough road Seattle now has for the playoffs. The only good news for the Seahawks before they had that game against the Eagles, the Eagles run through their own mini gauntlet of bills, yeah, forty niners at the Cowboys, so maybe you hope you get them on a letdown after the cross-country flight, but what's the Seahawks going to have left in the tank then? The idea that they go from 6-3 and three to, if I had to guess, 6-8 and eight after that five-game losing streak, well, it would be four going on five if they lose to the to the Eagles. That's just going to take a lot. And that's I don't know that that's going to be their season riding on it because they could, in theory, win their last three, get to 9-8, and eight, and in the NFC this year – who the hell knows? Maybe that's good enough for the seventh seed. But the seventh seed is going to be a trip to Philly or San Francisco by all appearances with a slim chance right. of a trip back to Dallas. And I don't know that they'd want to go back to Dallas and try to do that again. I think they caught the Cowboys in a great spot. I think the Cowboys feeling a little better about themselves than they should have got themselves into a game. Usually when the Cowboys win at home, they win handily and it's not close. And maybe they did need a game like that where they had to dig deep and find a way at home. Maybe it was coming too easily last night. It didn't. The Seahawks almost held on. And I agree with you. I, even when the Cowboys were, were down eight in the fourth quarter, all you need is a touchdown and a two-pointer. No big deal, right? I still thought this is a tall order for the Cowboys to 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 ultimately take the lead in this game. 
Uh, and uh, they, they found a way to do it. They found a way to pull it off, and the Seahawks found a way to turn a potential huge win into a loss. And let's start, Peter, with that play that we showed at the top. The quotes started to trickle out after the game that it wasn't some blown assignment, that it wasn't some mistaken read, that it wasn't some failure by Geno Smith to spot an alignment that was conducive to checking out of the play that was called. This was a deliberate plan as designed to let Michael Parsons run free and have their third string running back, DJ Dallas, because Kenneth Walker II was out with an oblique injury. Zach Charbonnet, who had a great game last night, left after banging his knee against the turf. He was in the blue tent, and then he was in the locker room. He didn't return. So what DJ Dallas had to do there, Peter, was get across that formation, lickety-split, as they say, and he didn't get through fast enough. Now, the other problem is uh, Michael Parsons is getting through fast enough. He's got the speed to close the distance, and this is prime example. Chris Sims talks about this all the time. It looks great when you draw it up. But then when you execute it, it all goes to crap. But it looked great when they drew it up. This X and this O and this O goes here and this X goes there. It's like the old way John Madden would describe a play. It looks great when it's X's and O's. It doesn't look great when one of the X's is Michael Parsons and one of the O's is your third string running back who's got to get across to where Geno Smith is trying to throw that that little screen pass on fourth and two so he can get the first down. So... Just a hell of a way for the Seahawks to have have their last gasp fall flat. Well, um, I'll just go on record as saying any play that is designed uh, purposefully, purposely to not block <laughs> Michael Parsons um, doesn't really sound too logical to me. And I understand the theory of that, but in reality... I think that you have to, at the very least, get a chip on Micah Parsons. You know, I think it's, to me, I don't know, uh, it it just doesn't make a lot of sense to say on this play, we're going to get out so fast. We're going to get it out essentially in 1.5 seconds Uh, because that's what you have to get it out, 1.7 maybe, uh, before Micah Parsons comes in and, and... you know, knocks me to uh, whatever, to Arlington. So it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But, Mike, I think the the bigger issue, I don't want to say issue, but the bigger issue for Seattle is they're going to look back at this game and understand that there are times of a season when your season is defined by a play or a series or an evening. And that to me is going to be this particular game, this series. And I think that the Seahawks are going to go into the off season, whenever that does begin. And they are going to say, Hey, listen, you know, we have a good quarterback in Geno Smith. We like Geno Smith, (laughs) but we are going to draft a young quarterback here in this draft, and hopefully, hopefully, uh, we're going to be able to get a guy who next year can come in and compete with Geno Smith. And look, 
I'm not down on Geno Smith necessarily, but Geno Smith, I think, has shown this year that he has his limits. And he especially has his limits when he is consistently pressured as heavily as he was in that game last night. So I think that game said a lot about the Seahawks and the unfortunate thing for them. And I look, John Schneider, the general manager, has done a very good job in beefing up that offensive line for the future um, last year in the draft. But I do think that you look at it now and you probably have to think about uh, where are we going to go next for our quarterback? Well, and the one thing that Chris and I have talked about from time to time, even though it was reported as a three-year <laughs> big money deal, it's one year in 28. They could exit this thing after 2023. They could they could pursue one of the available veterans as a stopgap and maybe draft a young guy. They don't have to keep Geno Smith next year, and I think you look at the full body of work once the season ends. Do they get to the playoffs? Do they miss the playoffs? It's still unwritten, but but last night is the kind of game that I think does make you fairly ask yourself, if you're the Seahawks, do we have the right guy to get us to where we're trying to go? And Pete Carroll yeah. trying to get back to the top of the mountain. And there were times this season where you thought, you know, this, this could be it. And when the 49ers were in their three-game losing streak, the Seahawks took over the division, and now they've seen this rapid fall that – is not going to get any better, most likely, anytime soon. So the end result last night, Cowboys have their fourth straight home game with 40 or more points. That ties an NFL record. They've won 14 in a row at home. They're 9-3. and three. And last night, for only the fifth time ever in league history in the regular season, sixth time if you include the postseason, no punts by either team. In the game, and the Seahawks become the first team ever in the 100 plus year history of the NFL to score 35 or more points, not punt and lose. Now, we don't see many games like this this year. There's been a lot of lower scoring games. We saw the 37 34 epic on Sunday between the Bills and the Eagles. But Boy, as Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreit were saying at the very end of the game, who would have thought 76 points from these two teams last night? There was a ton of offense. There were a lot of penalties. I'm sure we'll talk about that. But, yeah, this is a tough – this is ultimately a gut punch for the Seahawks. The one graphic I noticed last night too, Peter, the Seahawks, when scoring 35 or more in the Pete Carroll era, had been 36-0 and before last night. And, of course, after last night – 36 and one giving up 41 points is not the kind of thing that a Pete Carroll team does. And they've never lost when they scored 35 because of the Pete Carroll defense. And, you know, you look at that game last night, Mike, and you would think coming into that game that, you know, their defense was going to keep them in it because this is a defense in particular, the young secondary uh, that has really been good. But I think, you know, there was a really good, I think Kirk Herbstreet did this on the telecast or the streamcast, whatever. What what do we call these games? They're not telecasts, are they? They're football games. Okay, let's call it that. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you watched it. And the one thing I thought that was telling last night is when they ISOed 
uh, Jamal Adams on two or three plays with Jamal Adams getting beat. And, you know, that, that really said a lot in this game because I think everybody thought when you could have the trifecta at safety of Quandre Diggs, Jamal Adams, and Julian Love, that who who would have a better trio of safeties? Oftentimes playing on the field at the same time. Now, obviously, Jamal Adams hasn't been healthy, so he hasn't been able to be out there all the time. But I thought what was interesting is that <clears throat> I would never have thought not only you know, the number of points that the Cowboys got, but 33 first downs. That is something that had to make Pete Carroll just sick. So that was a huge factor in the game last night. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the Cowboys, even though at times they put up 41, and at times it felt like they were a little off. It felt like they were a little sluggish. But you're right. At the end of the day, they just went through that defense when they had to have it, when they needed to have it, they could kick it in and they could get it done. I want to pivot back to that fateful play, though, before we move on. The Micah Parsons yeah. straight shot for Geno Smith. The failure of DJ Dallas to get in position to make the catch. Here's Geno Smith after the game talking about the fact that Micah Parsons was given a free run to the quarterback. Um, you know, it is design. That was uh, He had to squeeze right tackle, had to squeeze right there versus zero. Um, so he did the right thing. Micah coming free. Uh, we knew that would possibly happen. Uh, tried to get the ball around him. Uh, just wasn't able to. We were expecting, you know, DJ to be able to slip out of there. Um, and, you know, usually sometimes teams have a what they call a peel um, with, the, with the end where, you know, if the back releases, then the end will peel or Parsons will peel. On that play, it was an all-out, so he continued to rush. Uh, we thought DJ could slip through there and we can get him the ball in the flat. Um, wasn't able to get through there. Uh, kind of got held up, and that's kind of how the play went. You know, and Peter, something I had forgotten until just now, and it wasn't really clear what the context was, but they had a close-up shot of Micah Parsons as that last play was getting situated before the snap. And he looked like he was upset or confused, and I could, you could only assume that he wasn't – I mean, he wasn't mad, but you, just the facial expression and what he was saying, it's kind of like, is he not real happy with whatever the call is on this play? So uh, it worked out. But he was the one guy they locked in on as the Cowboys were getting themselves arranged. And I thought, boy, for some reason, he doesn't seem to be 100% on board with whatever's going to happen. But ultimately, and obviously, Michael Parsons gets it done, delivers the win, and the Cowboys, again, now 9-3. and three. And, you know, I'm thinking the whole time that the Seahawks are winning this game, the Cowboys are yeah. going to blow whatever shot they have. There were two big pictures for me. One, the 49ers are pretty damn good. The 49ers are the best team in the NFL. When you look how they dismantled the Seahawks one week earlier, and it never felt close, and the Seahawks gave the Cowboys everything they could handle, that was one big takeaway. Number two, the Cowboys were blowing whatever chance they had to try to catch the Eagles atop the NFC East. And that, that collision course is still in play. Eagles lose on Sunday to the 49ers. Next Sunday night, week 14, Sunday Night Football, NBC and Peacock, Eagles at Cowboys, winner ends up in first place in the division. Yeah, and Mike, I think now what we're seeing, and and it, you always see this in a long season, 
you, you well, oh, not always, but you very usually see this, that at some point you separate the best teams from the teams in the middle. You know, last week after the Eagles game, um, you know, when they survived against Buffalo, um, and I don't know how else to, you know, to describe that because that's what they did. They just survived a, a very tough opponent. But <clears throat> when I look at that game, the words of Jason Kelsey after that game to me said a lot. And he said, you know, the one thing that basically surprises me about this season is not that we're 10 and one, but it's that nobody else is with us. You know, there are two losses, there are two games in the loss column clear of the other 31 teams, which that's pretty surprising to me that there's only one sort of preeminent team. But I think as the season goes on, and I think the San Francisco Philly game, which we'll discuss here in a few minutes, I think the San Francisco Philly game will basically, uh, or could basically could, uh, really determine who the home field uh, advantage is in the NFC, which is very odd for the first week in December. You know, you don't usually see that happening in the first week of December, but I do think as it applies to the Seahawks right now and to the NFC West, if the 49ers can go into Philadelphia and win that game, they basically will all but eliminate any competition, you know, in the NFC West for that division. So there's there's a lot of reasons for Seahawks fans after they get over their misery today. There's a lot of reasons for them to turn on the TV Saturday afternoon at the game in Philadelphia. And before last night's game, in my mind, it had separated in the NFC to the point where it was Eagles, 49ers, Cowboys, and everyone else. And I really thought the Cowboys were in jeopardy of joining the everyone else category last night. They lose that game last night, and maybe it is just Eagles and 49ers. They meet this weekend, and there's just a vibe that they're going to meet again in the postseason. Just like back in the early 90s, there was always this sense 49ers and Cowboys are going to get together again. It just feels like 49ers and Eagles are going to get together again. The Cowboys stick around in the conversation. One of the reasons they stick around is because Dak Prescott is playing lights out right now to the point where, number one, they're chanting MVP already in Dallas with plenty of games still to play. And the critics of Dak Prescott, who are still out there, with takes both legitimate and bizarre. Here's Dak Prescott after the game last night on the MVP case and shutting up the doubters. No difference when, when they're hating me uh, and, and calling and calling calling for me to my position. Honestly, I'm blessed. I'm super blessed. And, you know, I think about that each and, each and every day that I wake up. I'm grateful for that opportunity to do that. And I go and attack the day that I understand nobody's opinion defines me. And um, that, that's the great part about life. And that's the great opportunity that we all have, that people can say whatever they want. But, but you know, I have the pen, I have the paper, and I'm the one writing. So um, because I'm playing as well as I am now doesn't mean that I'm going to stop, doesn't mean I'm going to listen to them now. Uh, appreciate them. But I don't care about their opinions right now any more than I did when they said that, you know, when they're, when they're calling for my spot. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. 
Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. I love it. I love it when an athlete or a coach breaks out a line that you know they came up with ahead of time. You know he's been waiting for the right time, Peter, to say, I have the pen, I have the paper, and I'm the one who's writing. And I'm not knocking it. I like it. But you can tell that wasn't something that he just came up with standing there. You can tell he was carrying that one around in his back pocket on the pen and the paper and the writing that he was doing. And I love it. And it really does epitomize where his mindset is right now. He doesn't care what anyone else says, good, bad, or otherwise. He's out there doing his thing. And for the past month and a half, he's doing it as well as anyone in the NFL. (laughs) And good for him, Mike. He should be that way. Uh, And he's playing fantastic. There's no player in the NFL playing better over the last five, six weeks than Dak Prescott. And, And again, I don't mean to say in anyway that that it doesn't really matter because it does matter it all matters everything matters you can't do anything uh other than play the teams on your schedule and that's and Dak Prescott is playing the teams on his schedule and he is playing top of the market football and you know Mike as you look at the Dallas schedule you know since Halloween weekend what they are Look at the look at what they put up. Here's their points, you know, since October 29, 43, 23, 49, 33, 45, and 41. You know, they basically are lapping the field, you know, and and Dak Prescott to CD Lamb right now is just the golden combination, you know, of quarterback to and it's weird to call CD Lamb a possession receiver. But that's what he really was last night. He was a move-the-chains receiver. <laughs> and he, he can really do such a variety of things. And that's what makes him so dangerous. But I'm going to give you my butt in all this, that everything that Dak says is absolutely right. It's great. He's right. But with Dak Prescott, we all know that it's January that matters. You know, he's having a great regular season, and that's what the MVP is based on. He could win the MVP. You know, he certainly is a prime candidate for it. But with Dak Prescott, you know, something in January has to change or else people are going to be thinking about Dak Prescott, you know, same old Dak. So at this point, but 
that is for six weeks from now or however many weeks from now. Today, As of today, right now, he's doing the only thing he can do, which is to play great against everybody on his schedule. Peter King giving us one of the all-time great PFT lines that could be isolated and taken grossly out of context. I'm going to give you my butt. <laughs> Just, <laughs> Thank you. Cannon will be used against you, Peter. Get ready. The next time you're on, we'll have a rejoin with Peter King saying, I'm going to give you my butt. All right. Um, and as Dak Prescott kind of shows the, the rest of the competition, his own backside, uh, you know, here's the reality. And I, 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 I understand why this happens because it's part of what we talk about during the season, this whole Dak Prescott for MVP, and it's getting louder and louder and the voices and the faces in the media are jumping on board the Dak MVP train. The one big thing that everyone seems to forget, Peter, if the Cowboys don't catch the Eagles for the one seed in the NFC, it doesn't matter because Jalen Hurts is going to be the MVP or or the best player, the most impactful player, the most valuable player from the one seed in the AFC. That's the way this thing has gone. And I think especially now that only one team per conference gets a bye, the best player on the two teams, AFC and NFC, that emerge with the one seed, they are the two big MVP candidates. So, yes, it will be Dak, but at a certain point, what Dak does doesn't matter unless he has 6,000 passing yards and 60 touchdown passes and just naturally with his numbers eclipses a Jalen Hurts or a Patrick Mahomes or a Lamar Jackson. He's still not going to be the MVP. There's a team element to it that positions you. And he's positioning himself to be positioned by his team to be the MVP, but that just kind of gets glossed over in all this. If you don't catch the Eagles, it isn't going to matter. And even if you do catch the Eagles, you may have a very good competitor from the AFC that you're going to have to contend with. It probably isn't going to matter, Mike. But, you know, the MVP, even though in recent years, obviously you're right, there is a tremendous advantage. And I don't know how many years in a row it's gone to the team of a one or two seed in each in either conference. But I dare say it it's multiple years in a row, obviously. The one the one thing I would say about that is that particularly even if the Eagles win home field and Dallas is sitting there at number five, let's just say, I think that the rest of this season, if Dak Prescott puts up the gargantuan numbers like he's been putting up and he passes Brock Purdy atop the charts of all the various numerical categories, I think he will get what I might call, I don't want to say sympathy votes, but I might say empathy votes. You know what I mean by that, Mike? I think it is human nature. If you're a voter for the MVP and the 50 people who vote for the MVP, I think it's human nature to say, okay, as of right now, the team with the best record has had a quarterback who has played well, uh, but probably not to the level 
with his team of, uh, of Dak Prescott. So what do we do about that? And I think especially if the Cowboys finish, let's say, 13-3, and three, I think he's going to get some, and again, I, I just thought of this, but going to get some sort of empathy votes because people will think, okay, here's a guy who has played the best at this at this position individually. Uh, but again, he's going to have to keep up a humongously high bar down the stretch of this season, you know, in, uh, you know, in Dallas's last five games of the year. And it's not just empathy votes, Peter, and I agree with you completely. It's all f- also familiarity votes because pretty much every Cowboys game is in a primetime spot or 425 Eastern on Sunday. So the voters who are nationwide covering a bunch of different teams or covering all the teams, we see a lot of Dak Prescott. And let's just give the other example of an MVP candidate in his same state in C.J. Stroud. There's a lot of buzz for C.J. Stroud to potentially be MVP, which pretty hard to do as a rookie. It's only happened once before with Jim Brown in 1956, and it's never happened for a rookie quarterback. But we don't see a lot of C.J. Stroud live. We don't see a lot of moments that happen right in front of us. And you see, and it's being the Cowboys quarterback. Look at what it does for you during your career. Look at what it does for you after your career. It was one of the arguments that Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones used unsuccessfully in their contract negotiations several years ago with Dak Prescott. You shouldn't want every last dollar you can get from us because there's this huge incidental benefit to being the Cowboys quarterback in this setting with MVP, you know, there are other factors that could influence voters and say, even though they're the five seed or even though Lamar Jackson went off down the stretch and won for the Ravens, the number one spot in an ultra competitive AFC, even with all that Dak is the guy that we ultimately use our pen and paper and vote for. There's still a lot left, and he is in the mix. But the one thing we got to remember is these things tend to become apparent when the dust settles on the season. I agree with you, though. There's something different about Dak Prescott. His journey, the team he plays for, and the fact that we see him all the time. We see him more than any other quarterback in the NFL right now, other than maybe Patrick Mahomes. It's probably equal to the amount of times we see him and Patrick Mahomes, and that's going to be a factor. There's one other factor, I believe, okay? And you and I can both play schedule hijinks and look at everybody's schedule and say, if this happens, that happens, whatever. And then, you know, whatever. The Jets beat Philly. Arizona beats the Cowboys. It's just, you know, so weirdness always happens. But I would say one thing that that I think is really important to think about. <clears throat> the next three weeks of the Dallas Cowboys, if you look at their schedule, Philadelphia at home, at Buffalo, at Miami. Now, if Dak sweeps that and they still finish fifth in the conference, I... It, you know, if Dallas sweeps that, it's likely they'd go 13 and three. 
So I just keep thinking to myself, that is going to be a totally different story if the Cowboys get to 13 and three and they do it by virtue of finally slaying the Philadelphia Dragon and then beating the best two teams in the AFC East on the road. So that's what, that's the reason why Dak could have a very interesting case from the quarterbacks outside the one and two feet. Boy, and then we get after that, the Lions coming to town on that Saturday night, December 30. That could be another uh, impressive one. See, I think that's a Saturday night game for some reason on Fox the Lions at the Cowboys. So they've got a heck of a run here. They're going to earn it if they end up with that number one seed because they got some big games coming up, and they escaped last night with one that I thought, when you look at the upcoming schedule, was one of the easier given the way the Seahawks have been playing of late. You mentioned C.D. Lamb. He had his sixth 100-yard receiving game of the season. That's the most by a Cowboy since Terrell Owens in 2007. And I saw this tweet last night from Michael Gelkin of the Dallas Morning News. He has 15, C.D. Lamb does, 100-yard games in his career. That passes Bob Hayes for the most wow. in the first four seasons of a Cowboys career. And you think about that, all the way back to Bob Hayes. Drew Pearson, Michael Irvin. Unbelievable to think about the fact that these other great receivers didn't do the same thing that Bob Hayes did, and now C.D. Lamb is at the top of the stack. And you know, this is a guy that hasn't gotten paid yet. Yeah, this the, again, this has been going to be an expensive season for Jerry Jones. The way Dak is playing, his cap number next year of nearly sixty million. They're going to have to redo his contract, and he's justifying a market value deal with how he's playing. C.D. Lamb having a great year. Michael Parsons window open on a second contract after this season. He's going to have to dig deep. He's going to have to dig deep into the super yacht maintenance fund to have to pay some of these guys after the season, but he'll be happy to do it, especially (laughs) if he can get at least to the NFC Championship round for the first time since 1995. So uh, one other point about this game, Peter, and and there were a lot of penalties. There were a ton of penalties. At one point, I saw a graphic of 252 penalty yards and zero punts. It was at some point in the fourth quarter. Let's hear from Pete Carroll about that subject before we offer our thoughts. Penalties generally, and there was a delay of game penalty that was called on the Seahawks at one point that he had an issue with. Let's have a listen. It's unfortunate that the game is, you know, it feels like there was a whole other factor in this game. I don't know. You guys saw a lot better than I did, but um, there's just way too many penalties in this game. And we got that for both sides. We got to get out of that, that kind of football. What, what happened on the delay before the field goal? Would you... T- I'm glad you asked me that. Okay, what happened on that play is the, the officials moved the football from the middle to the hash, and they're supposed to reset the clock, and they didn't do it. And so we're griping about that, and they just, it, the time, time got, it got me. I screwed it up. I should have called timeout, but I was grousing about the fact that they should have. I was still trying to get them to stop the, you know, and the guy on the sidelines that we couldn't get it done. So, no, I don't know. Um, that was just, a, that's an error. The way I saw it, that's an error uh, on their part, and that was too bad. It did not take high-level lip-reading skills in that moment to realize that Pete Carroll was saying to the officials, you moved the effing ball. He said it two or three times when he got that delay a game penalty. So the officials continue to be under assault. But as it relates, Peter, 
to this idea of there's too many penalties. And Pete Carroll specifically, there, well, there it is. Oh, he didn't say, no, he said you moved the football. Sorry, see, I didn't lip, I'm so quick to see a, an F-bomb in the lip reading. I didn't, maybe I misread it. Oh, well, I was trying to wish it into existence. Regardless, in the passing game, I think back to 2013 Legion of Boom. Their strategy was, we're going to grab, we're going to hold, we're going to commit illegal contact every play against receivers because they're not going to call it every time. I mean, there weren't many occasions last night that I saw a flag come out and they show the replay, and I think, well, that was a ticky-tack foul. There was one point where Kirk Herbstreit was trying to make a clunky argument that there wasn't interference on C.D. Lamb when the guy pulled Lamb's shoulder and kept him from getting to the ball. I don't know what Kirk was talking about there. All due respect, Kirk. He kept him from getting to the ball. So what are, what are the officials supposed to do? Do you look the other way because right, you've right. already thrown your allotment of penalties? Or do you throw the flag when a receiver gets contacted deserved. either before the ball's in? Yeah, I mean, what do you do? <laughs> quit committing yeah. violations of the rules and we'll quit throwing flags. I think that's exactly right, Mike. I kept looking at the replays when they would show them after these penalties, uh, particularly in the third quarter when it was just a flag fest for the first 10 or 12 minutes. And I said, well, that's a foul. That's a foul. You know, I'll, I'll just, I'll make this point. I think we are seeing so many great, quick, fast, and tall receivers you know, and C.D. Lamb is a tall guy out there. Tyreek Hill, quick and fast. Keenan Allen, kind of a combination of those. A.J. Brown, a physical specimen. Um, and and you look at all that, and the corners and the safeties are trying to get advantages by playing the game the way that, you know, Michael Irvin and DBs used to play it all the time, which is it's not a penalty if they don't throw the flag and I am going to test and go to the limits of how much contact is possible. But I don't know about you, Mike, but I would love to hear from Walt Anderson and from Rich McKay about what they're seeing and what their numbers show them about the real increase in how much physical play has been allowed in the secondary this year. Yeah, uh, the reality is if you commit a violation, you're going to get flagged. And I'm, you know, we've seen, I think on the front end, an effort by the officials to keep quarterbacks healthy, whether it's letting the left tackle and the right tackle leave a little bit early, not calling holding fouls. And Peter, there were plenty of times last night. I mean, if you look closely, I know there's holding on every play, but there were plenty of times that you could see holding by offensive linemen that wasn't called. And that happens in every game. There's holding of guys who are trying to get to the quarterback and sack him or hit him legally after he throws the ball, and it's not called. There was one play in particular where Michael Parsons was thrown to the ground in his effort to get to Geno Smith. So the other side of that is we want to keep the game going. We want the not, – not going without flags, but going down the field. If you're going to commit fouls against the receivers, I don't know how they're going to look the other way. They're going to call that. They need to call that, and the defensive players just need to stop 
mugging the receivers, and it goes back to that strategy from 10 years ago that the Seahawks worked to perfection. We dare you to throw a flag every time we commit a violation. Last night, they were throwing the flag every time a violation was committed. All right, we've spoken a couple of times about the mammoth game that's going to happen on Sunday in Philadelphia, 49ers at the Eagles. We'll focus on that one specifically when this Friday edition of PFT Live continues right after this. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 